I will speak about consciousness so we understand. Uh, at least there is one way of understanding this uh, duality of subject and object. So we may, we may wonder if we speak about non-duality of object and subject, does it mean that only the subject is left so that we, all the objects are, are reduced to the subject? Or on the contrary, everything goes to, to the object? Or maybe something different? So we, we have to inquire. What does it mean, non-duality of subject and object? And does it make sense? But for that we, we have to uh, see what, what does it mean, uh, what consciousness means, what is consciousness. So I'd like to first to, to speak about that. There's a, a Chinese saying right at the beginning of the Chan tradition where it is said that the when disciple Wike came to meet Bodhidharma, the founder of the Chan tradition, and asked him, he said, my, my mind is agitated, can you pacify it? And Bodhidharma said, please bring me your mind and I will pacify it. And Wike said, well, I looked for it, I did not find it. And Bodhidharma said, you see, I've pacified it. <laughs> so, but what does it mean? Huike said that I've looked for it and I did not find it. So does it mean that it is not possible to know mind or consciousness? In this sense will be uh, synonymous. Does it mean that it is not possible to, to know what the mind is? As he was looking for it, he did not find it. But we have to, to understand what, what does it mean to know? And is it uh, knowing or knowledge, can it apply to consciousness or, or to the mind? So knowing that gives rise to, to knowledge, in a way, it's a, it's a way to, to translate any experience into something that can be kept, transmitted, recorded, so we can knowledge can be transmitted, can be kept. When gather knowledge in encyclopedia, it's huge, huge amount of knowledge. It is uh, organized there. So uh, a knowledge is a, a translation of an experience into something that can be kept. So it's not the experience itself, but it's a translation. If we if we take a very simple experience uh, example. If there is an experience of seeing, we, we see something, this experience we cannot keep it. It's not possible to keep the experience of seeing. But what we can keep, we can keep, a, for example, the knowledge of what we saw. That we can keep. We make a, a record of that through a concept, an image, and then in the evening we, we can bring it back. Or another day we can remember, I saw that. But what is being recorded, kept, is not the experience, it's a translation of the experience into a concept. So, knowledge is always a translation of an experience into something that can be kept, that can be grasped, that can be stored. 
And in this translation, there can be mistake. I can imagine, uh, I see someone coming uh, away, you know, and maybe I, I see something that I know, and then uh, this person is closer, oh, that's not the person I thought. Or I may see something far away, and I believe it's a car. As I'm going nearby, I realize it was just a huge stone. So this translation can be mistaken. Then the, the quality of knowledge, that it can be wrong. So there's this translation of an experience into a concept. So when we, we are speaking about knowing the mind, if it is in the sense, knowing it through a concept, this uh, knowing and knowledge usually applied to object is a way that we know the, the world around. So is the same mean, can this mean apply to consciousness or to the mind? And there is, in all the exploration of consciousness, uh, there is always a tendency to treat consciousness as an object. As we, all what we are dealing, usually, is a knowledge of object, or a concept, or something complex, but suddenly we are in a situation completely different. We are not exploring uh, an object or concept, we are exploring that which knows the object. So can the same attitude, the same way of exploring, can it also apply to consciousness? And it seems that most of the time that what we try to apply is that we make consciousness an object that we may start to analyze. When science wants to speak about consciousness, it means that they're making an object of research. But it's really... That, uh, that apply to an investigation of consciousness. So in the, in the knowledge, there's a knowing of, a, of an object, and the object is that which is placed in front, you know, in front, that, that what object means, that is projected in front. So there is, in this knowledge of an object, there is always a sense of something facing, something, the knower or whatever. So if we were trying to investigate consciousness and believe that we could place it in front, but in front of what? If there is no consciousness, there is no true consciousness, so we cannot place it in front of non-consciousness because this non-consciousness will not know anything. So we, we may wonder, maybe the, the type of knowing that is developed when we are seeking knowledge, maybe that does not apply, is not the proper way to investigate consciousness. Kant said that that which knows object cannot be known as an object. However, it seems that we always fall back on that. We like to know it as an object. Having other characteristic, when we ask what are the quality of the mind, we always try to give it characteristic, that characteristic of objects. We believe those can apply to the mind. And that has to be questioned. So if we, if we see how consciousness is being uh, described or defined in the Buddhist tradition, here we'll take the, the Tibetan tradition because that the one I know the most precisely, but we'll find the same in, in all the Buddhist tradition. 
In Tibet, they debate a lot about um, the definition of consciousness. There was a different point of view, and not only for the scholar to debate, but it had a great implication on the way they would meditate. So some lamas, we will think that consciousness is that, that which is clear and knows an object, that the definition of consciousness, that which is clear and knows an object. But then it means that consciousness always uh, knows an object. Therefore, the mind could not know itself directly, could only know itself through a concept. There will be no direct um, knowing or direct awareness of the mind, because it always knows an object. Therefore, the mind has to be first conceptualized. And for people that believe that, it is interesting the way they meditate on the mind. They say that only when the mind is looking back at a previous instant of consciousness, then can you know consciousness. So it's very strange. It seems that we are rather dealing with a, a memory of the previous instant of consciousness. So all the meditation on, on the nature of the mind in this tradition then is being completely codified by this understanding of what is the mind. And, and some other lama said, no, that is not a proper definition, it's too narrow, because it means that consciousness always needs to know an object, what about the mind itself? So they say, what is clear and aware, that is a defini definition of consciousness. So it doesn't need to have an object, it's much more open. Therefore, in this case, consciousness could be aware of itself. Not like in the in the case of the first definition, why it needs to have an object. So we have to make a distinction between knowing and being aware. Knowing always is through a concept, and a concept is a way of grasping. So knowing implies a way of grasping. Well, to be aware doesn't need a grasping, doesn't need a conceptualization. It's something that is more essential, if you like. In knowing, there is always a quality of awareness. But in awareness, there is not always a quality of knowing in the sense of holding through a concept. So when we ask this question, can the mind or consciousness be known or not, we have to start to investigate on what we mean by knowing. If by knowing would mean a knowing that is free of concept, then it would be possible. If it is depending on the concept, then that brings a lot of difficulties. Well, in Western philosophy, there was also debate about if a mind can know itself directly or not. It's quite interesting to see that actually they, they were facing the same difficulties and also coming with quite a profound way of investigating this, this question. So if we, if we question, does, does a mind know itself or is aware of itself? It seemed that from the first definition, if the mind could not know itself, then it would be very difficult for the mind to know anything because when the mind knows something, a sound or something like that, it should also know that it is knowing. If it did not know that it is knowing, this knowing of something will be like not knowing. If you know something and you don't know that you know it, it's like not knowing it. Alain, the French philosopher, said, to know is to know that one is knowing. 
So here we are not so pleased with the word to know, but to know is to be aware that one is knowing something. And that, again, for our meditation, has a great implication. So it means in any experience, when we hear, when we taste, when we think, when there is any experience, there is a knowing of, the, of an object, and at the same time, there is an awareness that something is being known. And that is by the nature of consciousness itself, that it is aware that it is knowing something. If you like, consciousness is present to itself in this knowing of something. And this uh, awareness of itself knowing something can be stronger or lighter if there is a lot of energy in the object which is known, completely fascinated by, by hearing some sound or something like that, then the, it's a very weak uh, awareness that one is aware of something and that one is knowing something. If the energy is not so strong on the grasping at its object which is known, then there is a much clearer uh, awareness of the knowing of this experience. So the consciousness, if you like, knows itself or is aware of itself in any experience. That, that the way consciousness works, it, it has to be aware of itself. It is clearer or less clear, stronger or, or less strong. And in a sense, all our practice of meditation, the practice of mindfulness is to give more, more importance to this being aware of knowing something, being aware of hearing rather than just knowing the sound, being aware of experiencing a sensation rather than just being concentrated on this sensation. And that's what mindfulness is about. Mindfulness is this presence of the mind to itself in an experience. So mindfulness always has this dimension of quality of presence, not of knowing an object. Could be concentrated on, on counting the leaves of a tree or something like that. And then I will be concerned with that. There will be very little awareness of the, of the knowing of that, of the counting of that. And that will be not being mindful, that will be concentrated in counting. So there's a distinction there which is very important. It's not that mindfulness is a creation of something that does not uh, is not present every instant is is more that uh, bringing to light or withdrawing the energy which is too much on on the object so that the, the mind is aware of itself as it is knowing something so any experience seeing tasting thinking always reveal the mind to itself while it's revealing an object and what we are concerned in, in mindfulness is more that the, the mind revealing itself in this experience rather than the object that is known. So consciousness reveals itself in, in any experience. It's, it's present to itself, aware of itself, but not as an object. It has, it has no characteristic of its own. It, it is not, it has no limitation, it has no size. All those are hmm, concepts that are known by the mind. So if we, we start to want to uh, give characteristic to consciousness or to the mind, this is only concepts that are known by the mind, does not apply to the, to the mind itself. 
So when we try to start to to speak about the mind and characteristic, we start to fall back into hmm, notions that belong to objects. This mind is neither present nor past nor future. It is not existing in temporality. Temporality is a, is a concept arising in the mind. And for consciousness, of course, there is only things that are unknown, that are arising in the mind. For consciousness, there is nothing outside of it, because it cannot conceive something outside of it. The outside of it that will be conceived in consciousness is just another concept. So for consciousness, there is no inside and outside. Consciousness has no location. You cannot say it is here or there. With respect to what? Consciousness cannot be located with respect to anything else. Not to an object, the object is what is known by the mind. It has no beginning, no middle, no end. Beginning is a concept that would arise in the mind. So no no limitation, no center, no localization, no beginning, no end. For consciousness, it, it cannot conceive of its absence, of its non-existing, because it could not be there to be aware of its non-existence. So for consciousness, it, its end has no meaning. How could, could it imagine its end if it imagines it's just an imagination, something that is known by the mind? So it means that in consciousness, Consciousness is not born and, and does not die, doesn't change. Now if we would say then it is permanent, then it is permanent is again a quality that will give to an object that is everlasting. It's not permanent or impermanent. All those qualities are quality of objects. So the death of consciousness has no meaning. Because it there will be no consciousness to explain that, to know that there is a death of consciousness. So it's a, just a concept that has no meaning. So we see that it has no characteristic of objects. All those are just concepts that are known in the mind. You are the contents of the mind, but not the mind itself. And as I said, we, we cannot locate the mind with respect to what? whatever we'll consider are always known by the mind, therefore they are contents of the mind. There is no way that we could imagine something that will be known and that is not a content of the mind. So for consciousness, there is nothing outside it. doesn't make sense. So no location is not here or there because there is no nothing outside and nothing other with respect to which it could be located. And, and that appears naturally when, when the mind is not so much interested anymore in what it is being aware of or what it is knowing. When there is less interest in knowing that or being aware of that, then this quality appears to itself naturally.
or the sense of being the ground of any any experience, knowing of any object. So in this sense, we, we understand very well why speaking about pure consciousness, one can speak about the deathless, the unborn. Because all those are characteristic of, of objects, uh, not characteristic of the mind. So this does not apply to the mind. It's quite strange because we, we, we want to bring it back to something that we can limit, that we can really, you know, hold. But that cannot be done. So the mind is aware and knows object, it has no location itself. But in a sense, to, to locate itself in, in the world, mind creates a, a substitute of itself to have a, a position, a location, something that is representing the mind in the world of object, therefore it can be uh, among other people in the world, if you speak. We understand from the description I gave, the mind is not in the world, the mind is the world. But now we have the sense that the mind is in the world, is located, I meet other people. So in order to do that, the mind creates a substitute of itself, a spoke man or a spoke woman for itself that can be located, that can face. You see, consciousness cannot face anything because it's not no no location. So there is nothing in front of consciousness. It cannot face anything. But in our experience we have the sense that we can face object, persons. So this spokesman or spoke woman, this representative of the mind that can be located, is a notion of I. The I is a personification of consciousness that gives the sense of this consciousness to be located somewhere and to relate to two objects and other people. But the sense of I is only a thought, a concept, bringing, arising in the mind. So in the mind we have one specific concept, which is I, and we have other objects which are being grasped. And those, I and the, the object, belong to the same sphere. They can be opposed. We cannot oppose consciousness and object because consciousness has no location, so it cannot be opposed. Duality is never the duality of consciousness and an object because there is nothing outside consciousness and consciousness is not located somewhere, so it cannot be facing an object. The duality is a duality of I and an object, not consciousness as an object. And this I, that is, which is that which is standing for consciousness. And if you like, whenever there is uh, objectification of any state of mind, then the I can take that as a support. When we experience an emotion and we objectify it, anger, sadness or whatever, we treat it as an object, the I can identify with that. And then there's my anger that I can try to throw away. 
that are facing other that can be, we imagine, dealt with or thrown away, thrown away, because it has it is an objectification of a state of mind. When there is awareness of being a way of seeing, for example, then the representative of the mind here, the I, stand, I see. In a sense, it's consciousness seeing, is awareness seeing. But then the I comes and <clears throat> is a spokesman here for the seeing. I see. But awareness is seeing, seeing is seeing. This solidification of the sense of I here, of consciousness in the sense of I, <clears throat> it doesn't bring anything. This I has no power of seeing because it's just a concept. I hear, the same sense. This I has no power of hearing. It just stands for the consciousness of seeing. Say I. But when there is just seeing, there is no location. When I see, I see that. There is immediately a space. I see the, uh, the whole. There is a duality created there. There is a distance. But as I the sutra the other evening in seeing just seeing and the Buddha said therefore you will not be either here or there There's no no building up of a sense of self and then in seeing just seeing there is no duality at this time because we have not created this uh, representant of the consciousness as a sense of I and this I can be facing an object but in the seeing as there is no location, because there is no this substantification through the sense of I, there is nothing in front, so they are just seeing. So the, the duality appears clearly as a duality of something of the same sort, two concepts in the mind, I and the object, I and the, what, what is being perceived, sought of, or, or heard. So the non-duality, when we do not cling to this substitution of the mind, to the I, and neither to the object, then the non-duality delivers in this uh, sense only with consciousness, in hearing, just hearing, in tasting, just tasting. So at this time there is no subject, no object, they all disappear because they were constructed by the mind. And that can be experienced in our practice. Not something that is complex, although the explanation may be complex, the practice is not so complex. Uh, just being very close to the experience. In hearing, I may start by the experience, I hear the sound of a car, for example. That is quite a construct with the eye and the hearing the, the sound. But if I stay closer just to the experiencing, uh, this, this hearing, then when I am more intimate with this experience, I will see that since I am not holding on the notion of I and the notion of whatever the source of what I am hearing, the car, for example, then there is just hearing at this time. And there is this experiencing of consciousness. It's very clear. And it's also very clear at this time that there is no location. At this time, hearing is not happening anywhere because there is nothing else with respect to which I could locate it. There is just hearing. 
And that we can explore in our meditation. Yeah, it's not, not too complex. We can explore the same we, we're seeing when we're outside. As I mentioned, just if we turn our head, we construct the part that we see, but we see only a very small part. So if we turn, we see something completely different. But of course, we keep in mind that it is the same. If we were to take a picture, then we don't know sometimes that they belong to the same uh, space. So we, we can't just put them one after the other and say, oh, that, that's the vision. But our mind knows exactly each picture, so I see the park here. That construction of conceptualization of what I'm seeing. But if I stay very close to the experience, what is it that I'm seeing here? Just that seeing, and that seeing, and that seeing. And that seeing is happening, of course, not in front. I would say first, I could imagine it's happening there in the field of my experience. Just seeing, just seeing. And when I, I'm intimate with this experience of seeing, then it's not anymore something in front that is being seen, it's just the experience of seeing, and that's not happening anywhere. I cannot say seeing is happening here, because there's nothing other. So in this sense, we can also experience this uh, in seeing, just seeing. In a simple way, what will uh, be on the way, it is usually our habitual tendency to, to build an object, and... Of course, this is very important in our life. We need to, to, to make sense of what we are seeing. Uh, that's not that uh, we should lose this capacity, but if we want to be more intimate with what we're experiencing, then we need to not to, or to suspend this building of something in order to stay very close to the experience itself. Seeing with tasting, we can do that. So we... I'm tasting this or that, and then if we get close, intimate, just to the tasting. It's like taste is tasting itself, so to speak. And this is not happening anywhere. Because we are not maintaining this construction of a subject and an object. Now, as I mentioned, also in the walking, we can experience that. Usually, either I'm trying to feel some sensation in my feet, and, which is fine, nothing again that, but we can also experience a, a walking in a more, more holistic way, N- not uh, observing any aspect, but when one is just resting in the walking. Then at this time, there is no separation between body and mind, uh, the tendency we have to, to see the body as an object, uh, the body as seen by other, but the body as uh, something that is uh, experienced, that is uh, alive, and therefore there's just the presence of the body walking, then a non-duality here. And when we experience that, it's also at time, it seems that Although we may be walking, it's like if we were not moving because we are not recording uh, a distance that is getting smaller or bigger. So there's just this pure presence in, in walking because I'm not holding to uh, the image of the body or the sense of I. Just opening to the experience. 
a body of awareness, as some have said, you know, a body of consciousness, you know, a way to to bring them together, rather than being aware of the body, you know, creating a, creating a separation. We can see the, the tendency we have in objectifying uh, consciousness or mental state that also consciousness, like like sleepiness. And I see that some things that I would like to get rid of. But even get intimate with just the experiencing of sleepiness, uh, not not holding to this notion of. Uh, some concrete thing that is sleepiness or identifying with this, then then sleepiness is just experience as a way of being. Revealing in sleepiness consciousness is aware of itself. If we attach too much importance to the aspect of sleepiness, then it starts to be a trouble. But when we, exactly like when seeing, if I attach too much importance to what is seen, then I create this duality and maintain this duality. It's the same in the sleepiness experience. If I attach too much importance to this aspect of sleepiness, which is there, then it creates this distance. There's a sleepiness, there's a problem. And then there is no awareness of awareness itself, so to speak, because I am concerned with the contents here that appear something vague, if you like. But if I see that sleepiness is revealing also, or in sleepiness, awareness is revealed to itself, not getting rid of sleepiness, then sleepiness is not a problem. It's a quite amazing experience that there can be very clear awareness in sleepiness. But for that, I, I need not to consider sleepiness as a problem. If I consider it as a problem, then I cannot explore it. And although sometimes uh, tools are being given to deal with sleepiness, I always find it is a pity because one missed the opportunity to discover something very important. If one discovers what is sleepiness, really just an appearance of awareness to itself, then one will also discover how we can deal with emotion. The same with sadness, for example tendency to objectify it, then it's a problem, then it's heavy, then my sadness, and then what to do when I am so sad, what to do with my sadness. But then if I can relate to sadness also as a, a way that reveals awareness to itself, and then this awareness being revealed to itself in, in the sadness experience, is not being transformed by the sadness then sadness does not, uh, is not a problem anymore. Sadness is experience in freedom. And that works for any emotion. So I think sleepiness is nice to explore because it's not too dramatic. And if it came to be too dramatic, one can always go and sleep. You know, that's, and that's over. But with sadness, it's not always so easy to deal with, or anger or fear. You know, some emotions are, are more difficult, so it's more challenging. So that's why I think 
sleepiness is a is nice way to to explore that or tiredness also in the evening when we be tired or in the morning and I feel tired I am tired and and again this through this identification there is a solidification and when when one open to the experience that tiredness also reveals just awareness to itself because the stone is never tired you know? so to be tired means that there is this awareness and therefore at this time tiredness is not a problem anymore to be tired or not to be tired doesn't doesn't change anything but all that uh, suppose that we don't see tiredness or sleepiness or sadness as problem if we see them as problem to get rid of then we will never understand uh, what they are deeply intimately Desire, for example, something quite interesting, can be, can be very powerful. So desire, what usually is stated as a possibility to deal with desire, is to, to, you know, to give in the desire or to repress them or to transform them, to sublime them. Many ways to, to deal with desire. We know that psychology is teaching us, but not inquiring to w- what is desire. So again, in desire, the awareness is revealed to itself, and when we can be intimate with this awareness of desire, then desire is not a problem anymore, it does not need any solution. And if meditation has um, a possibility to bring some freedom, it is not by changing every state of mind, because that will be endless, but it is rather by finding one attitude of, of wisdom that would allow us to be able to experience any state of mind without being conditioned by them. I always find it is slightly strange when Sometimes in meditation we see mental state as obstacles. Not with respect to concentration. I understand with respect to concentration some mental states are obstacles to concentration. That is very clear. But in the practice of vipassana, to see some mental state sometimes is mentioned as as obstacle is very strange. I think on the contrary, their emotions are always... uh, uh, an opportunity of a deep learning and a deep <coughs> deconditioning. But of course it's the same with positive mental state. I can experience joy, I can experience quietness and calm in the same way. I have also to relate to that, not to objectify it, not to cling to it, not to grasp at it. then I discover something that if I have this uh, sense of balance in the experience itself, in, in quietness, for example, in joy, not, not grasping at it, I discover something very different from the joy and from the calmness. Before I may have been seduced or fascinated by the, by the tranquility or by the joy or nice, and now I discover something different which is freedom. So then I can see at this time 
how much the experiencing of joy was grasping or calmness was still uh, binding me. And when I explained that to this uh, quality of equilibrium and non-grasping, then there's a dimension of freedom. So it is also very important to explore that when we have nice experience. Although sometimes the motivation is a bit less strong when there's nice experience, that's fine. Well, maybe tomorrow I will question it, but <laughs> let's enjoy it. Uh, but I think it's important to, to really explore when there's a nice experience because it's... Uh, it brings some wisdom that will be also there when we need it, when there is something difficult. And then it's more difficult to, to have this equilibrium of the mind when we have deeper sphere, for example. So not, not, not to miss that uh, opportunity when the mind experiences something uh, quiet or peaceful or, or happy. So I have described a little bit this this ultimate consciousness, if you like, when when one is not grasping at any contents and uh, not making anything that is not located anywhere, that is not not born, that does not die, because although the objective characteristic and concept that could be known by the mind does not uh, apply to the mind, with the same kind of statement that is given to the unconditioned. Conditioned is also the unborn and the deathless and, and, and whatsoever. I think the situation is, is quite different here. So in the Buddhist tradition, this pure consciousness that I have tried to, to describe is not the ultimate truth, because one can still, in a sense, grasp at it or, or yeah, grasp at it, and that is also binding us. So the ultimate truth is not this uh, pure consciousness that has also to be let go of. Not to be confused. I think one element will be about this pure consciousness, we could say in a sense it exists. Yes, uh, that the ultimate truth uh, that exists, uh, I found it. Uh, even with I, without believing in I, but this is being found. You know, this pure consciousness. But it has a sense of of existing, and that has to be let go of. We have to go beyond that. And then, if we don't go of that, there is no grasping, not clinging. Then at this time, the, the notion of it exists or it does not exist would not apply to that. Uh, Realization. We could not say it is. It can be said that it exists. It can be said not to exist. So it is important to be aware of that because some people reach to this uh, quite um, clear state of consciousness, and it is important that uh, to realize. If, if I could say or state it, it exists, that uh, there is still some letting go of it. And that to stop there will be. Uh, still to be in a ground that uh, where binding uh, or binding attitude could arise from that. If I believe that is existing, then many things can arise from that. So not to stop there, but to explore a bit further.
So that's what I wanted to, to speak a little bit about tonight, about this duality of subject and object that are duality of two elements that belong to the same sphere, that, with, that which is known by the mind. And never consciousness and an object that doesn't work because consciousness is not located anywhere. And also how in the practice we can explore that, again, in seeing, in hearing, in the simplicity of the experience. Although my explanation may have been complex, the practice is hopefully much more simple. Just to stay as close as possible to the experience. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.